Well, if you'll remain standing, we'll be in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And I'll be reading the whole chapter. It says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such a, such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know that what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Maybe seated. You know, as believers, we are in a constant spiritual war. There's this tension between righteousness and unrighteousness, between what the Bible says about living holy lives and what most times is the reality of life, which is unholy behavior. We are all sinners, and we fall short of the glory of God. And that's what's happening here in James. James is warning his audience that they need to be aware of this tension to turn to God and not to man. We are supposed to be the body of Christ, a unit of loving people who serve one another and the world for Christ. Peter calls us a royal priesthood. Paul calls us the body of Christ. Christ calls us his sheep. But no matter how we are described in Scripture, it is a picture of people gathering together under the headship of Christ. And what can happen, if we're not careful, is that pride and arrogance 
begins to creep in and destroys the unity of the church. And Casey likes to call the book of James the Nike book, right? The just do it book. He's been saying that for like 15 years. But here in verse 4, in chapter 4, verse 4, in my opinion, is one of the linchpins of why James wrote this letter. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There were some in this group, evidently, that were living with one foot in Christianity, one foot in Christ, and one foot in the world. And this is a problem we still deal with today. And this attitude develops from a life that is lived with a lack of reverence to Christ, a, a lack of humbleness towards other people, misguided wisdom, and a lack of discipline, not only in how they live their lives, but also in their speech. And James has addressed all these issues in the first few chapters. And in James 4, he reveals where this sort of living comes from. It comes from the desiring of the world more than they desire Christ. And this is a warning we must heed today. When James goes on, this, James goes on to say in verse 14 that this leads to another issue, a disregard for the will of the Lord. There were some who evidently made uh, business plans relying solely on themselves. It is an attitude of not building towards the kingdom of God and building their own kingdom. And in verse 14, Paul asked this, I mean, James asked this question, what is your life? What is your life? And that's kind of why I, what, where I want to camp out today. Because I believe in, and hopefully I'll make the case this morning that as believers in Christ, there's a certain way in which we ought to live. And it isn't in the mode of fighting or coveting or overindulging ourselves in worldly passions. So I want to divide this, this question that James poses here in verse 14. I want to divide it or, or give us three different ways of looking at this. And the first way I want to look at it is the duration of life. The duration of life. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. As you all know, last week, Dory and I went, got to go to Utah, and so we flew into Vegas, and we got our rental car, and we were driving up to St. George, and so we took this little detour uh, through the Valley of Fire State Park there in Utah. And at the entrance of this, this park, if you've ever been there, there's this sign that says, heat warning, you might die. Bump. First of all, there's no might. We are all going to die. Okay? That's what Scripture tells us. And when we die, there is a judgment coming. 
And this judgment will depend, will determine where we spend eternity. And there will be many who experience extreme heat. And so James answers this, the question this way. What is your life? Look at uh, verse 14. You are a mist. A vapor. That appears for a little time and then vanishes. He's addressing this attitude that people have of longevity. Those who live their life with no regard of the shortness of it. And disregard the things that Christ has called them to do. And remember, he's talking to believers here. Now these are people that know Christ. And yet are living their lives in such a way that they just disregard the shortness and brevity of life. The Bible has many illustrations dealing with the brevity of life. Life is compared to a flower that quickly uh, withers away in Job chapter 14. Life is pictured as being short as a breath and quickly vanishing as a cloud, Job chapter 7. It is also compared to a short shadow in Psalms 102 and the temporary nature of grass in Psalm 103. And in 1 Samuel 20 verse 3, David says to Jonathan, there is only one step between me and death. So we have to remember our life is short. We are not promised tomorrow. And the Bible makes it clear that it's just not wise for believers to make elaborate plans without the help of God. Now this uncertainty of life is not meant to cause us to be... Uh, fearful or inactive, it should give us a reason to depend on God even more. And as believers, we should not be terrorized into fear as if we have no hope, nor are we to be paralyzed into inaction by the uncertainty of the future, but to commit that future and all our plans into the hands of God, always remembering that these plans may not be within God's purpose or will for us. And it reminded me of Paul back in Acts chapter 16, where he says, I, I wanted to go to this place, but the Holy Spirit forbid me. You know, there are times in our lives when we really need to heed the Holy Spirit's warning. We don't need to go to certain places, or we don't need to do certain things, because it is not in the will of the Father. And James is not saying we can't have joy or fun in our life. We are meant to enjoy the things of this, this life. Like we have joy in certain things. Like yesterday when we landed, our daughter picked us up. We had no idea our grandkid would be with us. That was joyful. After a long week, right, and flying and, and just running and running, we were tired, and yet this little bundle of joy two-year-old joy comes up and it's just amazing how it renews your strength, right? But James is, say, is saying here that boasting without acknowledging God of what you're going to do with your future is arrogant and evil. So what is your life? Do you live and make plans 
not taking into account that we are not promised tomorrow. Psalm 102.3 says, For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. Matthew Henry puts it this way, How vain it is for any to look for any good thing without God's blessing and guidance. The frailty and shortness and uncertainty of life ought to check the vanity and presumptuous confidence of all projects for futurity. We can fix the hour and minute of the sun's rising and setting tomorrow, but we cannot fix the certain time of a vapor being scattered. Mankind has gotten really good at predicting, well, I was going to say weather. They can predict the, they, they're pretty good at predicting the sunset and the sunrise, right? Not always so much with the weather. But man has yet to figure out or predict, be able to predict the time of death. John Calvin says, for what is your life? He, he James, might have checked this foolish License and determining things to come by many other reasons. For we see how the Lord daily frustrates those presumptuous men who promise what great things they will do. But he, is sat- he was satisfied with this one argument. Who has promised you a life for tomorrow? Can you, a dying man, do what you, do what you so confidently resolve to do? For he who remembers the shortness of his life will have his audacity easily checked so as not to extend too far his resolves. Nay, for no other reason do ungodly men indulge themselves so much, but they forget that they are men. We need to live our life completely aware of the short duration of it. We need to be reminded daily that the Lord could take us at any moment. First Peter 1, 22 through 25 calls us to remember who we are in Christ. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So we must always be aware of how short our life is and live it unto the Lord. So that was duration. The second way I want to approach this question, what is your life, is dedication. In other words, what are you living your life for? What kingdom work are you dedicated to? While we were in Utah, we stayed with a couple, Joe and Debbie. And recently they had a, a missionary from uh, Papua New Guinea. And uh, this missionary, Zach, has been toiling over there for 12 years. And what he's been doing over there for the last over decade is he had to learn the language that the people spoke. Then he had to put their language into writing. <laughs> okay, so they could talk to each other, but they had no writing of their language. So first he had to learn their language, then he had to 
figure out an alphabet to write their language out. Then he had to teach them how to read. And then he could start teaching them the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying you have to have that level of dedication. Okay? Not all of us are called to that sort of level of extreme dedication to what God is calling us to do. Some of you may. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit where he calls us. But the spiritual growth you develop in all the level of obedience to Christ that you observe is, I believe, tied to or at least at the very least affected by the way or the dedication to the Lord and how you live your life. Now, for sure, we can divide these into two groups, right? You have those who are in Christ and those who are not. And these two groups should have vastly different means by which their life is lived. But somehow, that just doesn't seem to be the case always, does it? All of us here are in various stages of life, and with each stage comes different desires, responsibilities, and yes, spiritual awareness. But I want to encourage you this morning and maybe warn some of you to not be so caught up in the stage of life you're in that you neglect the things of God. I believe that this is the warning James is giving here. That sometimes we can be so hyper-focused on the task at hand that we forget that Christ has built within each and every one of us a specific job to do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of words so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has saved us for specific work. He has gifted us each individually and uniquely and he has prepared work for us beforehand to do and I hope you believe this this is what scripture says we weren't meant to be saved and just sit in the pew and and just soak it in every week We we were meant to go to work and that's why James says it's arrogant to boast about plans that don't include Christ to just make plans for for our future and and not think about the work that God has prepared beforehand for us to do it is Christ's kingdoms that we are building not our own kingdom and it takes discipline to not be distracted by worldly temptation That's why Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And Ephesians 5, 16 through 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We are to redeem our time here on earth. The word here, making the best use of or or redeeming our time, means to make wise, sacred use of every opportunity for doing good. So that zeal and well-doing are, as it were, the purchase money by which we make the time our own. And it's the same word used to describe what Christ did for us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ came down, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins according to Scripture, was buried according to Scripture, rose from the grave and reigns at the right hand of God the Father. So he redeemed his time on earth, purchasing us from the curse of the law to the glory of the Father. We are to make the most of our time. We are to redeem our time on this evil earth in fulfilling God's purpose having the same kind of passion for the lost as Christ did, lining up every opportunity for useful worship and service. James says that we need to be careful about our life plans, to hold them loosely so that God can work his will in us. Look back at verse 13. It says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it. For him, it is sin. I think most of us know what the right thing to do is. You know, we make decisions each and every day. Some for work, some for pleasure, some for responsibilities in our families. We know each and every decision. Some of the words we speak, We can make good decisions, but oftentimes we don't make the wisest choice, right? We know what the right thing to do is, but knowing doesn't make it any less difficult. There are things we experience, and if we're not careful, they can rob us of our time spent doing the will of God. In Richard Baxter's sermon, The Time Thieves to Avoid, He outlined different areas to watch out for so that we may not waste time. And I just want to kind of, I stole them from from him, and I want to just go through them quickly because I think it'll be helpful to you. First one is idleness or sloth. You rob God of your service and yourself to precious time and all that you may get therein. The slothful person is lazy in their callings and can find no time for holy duties. A careful, diligent person is still redeeming time while they do that which is good. A slothful person is always losing time. 
Proverbs 24, 30 through 34 says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And then behold, it was an all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and it, the stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. You know, we have to be careful with our, with our free time. Can't just spend a lot of time in idleness or sloth. And, and it's a hard thing to preach after you spent a week in Utah. I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's mountains everywhere. You drive down the street, you see mountains. You go to bed, you see mountains. You go, wake up in the morning, you see mountains. It's beautiful. It's real easy to get caught up in just how wonderful and beautiful it is and want to spend time just hiking around the mountains. But that's, is that the best use of time? And this leads right into the next one, which is excess of sleep. A little sleep, a little slumber, right? And by excess, of, I mean sleeping more than is needed for health and business. We need sleep, right? God created us. We sleep. <laughs> Our body needs to rest. We were not, however, created to spend more hours in bed than are needful for our health and labor, and especially not just for the love of sleep. God has work for us to do, and we shouldn't sleep in. I know sometimes it can be tiring to do the work of God's kingdom. It, it, it takes away from your free time, right? It takes away from you. Sometimes you lose sleep because you have to be doing something. But God has created us in such a way that, yes, we can have sleep, but we don't need to oversleep and sleep our life away. Another way is an inordinate adorning of the body. We live in an Instagram, Snapchat world where people spend hours making a 30-second clip of how perfect their life is, right? This is not how we are to spend our time. Paul writes, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And in 1 Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So we, we should treat our bodies as the temple of God because it is. We should be careful of 
what we put in it, we should be, but we should also be careful of the time we spend in pursuit of making ourselves look better outwardly instead of building ourselves up spiritually. We don't want to be whitewashed tombs. Another time killer is idle talk. Especially, this is a time killer, especially in light of those around us who need the gospel. When we spend all our time talking about sports or weather or anything else, we tend to spend less time talking about spiritual things. I don't know if you struggle with that. I do. (laughs) That's when it's needless, inordinate sports and games. And this one hits home for me because I love watching football. And I could really spend hours just doing that. Football season's coming. (laughs) But the enjoyment of sports can easily become an idol in our life and rob us of time we should be spending in service to the Lord. So it's a warning. Another one is excess of worldly cares and business. Another time killer. This gets... Back to James's argument early about quarrels and coveting others. We do need to work. We need to take care of our family. Help out the church financially. But the pursuit of money is not the goal. The goal is bearing fruit for the kingdom. Another one is vain, ungoverned, and sinful thoughts. Again, disciplining our, our mind, disciplining our mind, renewing our minds through the reading of Scripture and praying, meditating on God's Word, having gospel conversations. Philippians 4 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. I wonder how many of you struggle with that. Our thoughts and deeds. You know, people can see the good things that we do, but they can't see the evil thoughts that we think. But God can. We need to be very careful if we spend a lot of time alone in our sinful thoughts. Another one is reading of vain books, playbooks, romances, and fictional stories. And for today's age, we could add movies and TV or being on our phone. These things are fun. I get it. It can help relieve stress to lose yourself in a good book or watching a movie and just vegging for a while, right? But we must ask ourselves if we are redeeming our time wisely by doing so. And then finally, an unsanctified, ungodly heart. This one, Baxter claims as the master thief. It's a life spent knowing the truth and yet suppressing the truth in order to live the life in the way you want to. All of these things rob us of our time that we should spend toiling for the kingdom. 
Our goal must be to live orderly and disciplined lives for the glory of God. Why is that important? Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, People are judging Christianity by what they see in us. Not only that, but they are judging Christ by us. They are judging God by us. We stand for God and for Christ, for the gospel of salvation, for the whole of the Christian message. We are its representatives. They judge entirely by what they see in us. Most of them do not read the Bible or books about the Bible. We stand for it. So they are are observing us. You see why the apostle says we must redeem the time and buy up every opportunity. God has often brought people to repentance and to salvation simply by leading them to observe other Christians. They have felt a sense of condemnation and at the same time a sense of something attracting them. This is the reason we are to be careful, says the apostle. In Matthew 12, our Lord Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. But the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart speak, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. It's a good verse to keep in mind next time you want to post something online, right? So what are you doing right now to redeem the time God has given you? Is it important to you? Why should it be important? And this brings me to the third division of the question at hand. What is your life? We've seen the duration of life is short. And Christ calls us to be dedicated to the work that he has prepared for each one of us. And we are to redeem this time that we have. The third way I want you to look at this question is destination. Eternal destiny is at stake. This life is not the end game. So what is your life? There is the physical life and the spiritual life. There is a distinction between the two, yet they are intertwined together, and we live those lives to the glory of God. Jonathan Edwards says, when God created you and gave you reasonable souls, he made you for an endless duration. He gave you time here to prepare for eternity and your future eternity depends on the improvement of time. Do you live your life in preparation for eternity? It's not an easy thing to do. Turn over to Luke chapter 9. Quick. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my house. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Christ makes clear what the Christian life is. It's sacrifice and devotion to God. It's putting the kingdom of God first and let it, letting Christ figure out everything else. So then how are we to live? The Word of God commands us to be imitators of God and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. God also tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, says to put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Verses 11 and 12 of that same chapter, he says to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And in chapter 2, verse 16, he says to live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Is this how you live your life? We are free in Christ, but we are not to use that freedom as a cover-up for evil. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. A couple of passages I wanted to read. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Familiar passage. It's a passage about walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. This tension that we have between unrighteousness and righteousness, holy living and unholy living. Verse 16, it says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That is crucial to think about. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If you are in Christ, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit who convicts you of sin. 
this is you, I call on you this morning to examine your life. Does it line up with what you know Christ has commanded you to do? Jonathan Edwards goes on and says, Eternity depends on the improvement of time. But when once the time of life is gone, when once death has come, we no more, we have no more to do with time. There is no opportunity of obtaining the restoration of it or another space to prepare for eternity. If a man should lose the whole of his worldly substance and become bankrupt, it is possible that his that it is possible that he his loss may be made up. He may have another estate as good. But when the time of life is gone, it is impossible that we should ever attain another such time. All opportunity of obtaining eternal welfare is utterly and everlastingly gone. For you who are believers in Christ, I plead with you to examine your life and repent of your sin. If you have found yourself wasting time, if you have found yourself not recognizing the duration of your life and not spending your time for the things of God, 1 John 1, 8-9 says, If we, can, we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you are here and you are not in Christ, I ask you to consider your life. To recognize the shortness of it. That today would be the day of salvation for you. Remember Hebrews 9.27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. If you die without Christ, you have no hope. You will spend eternity in hell. But listen to verse 28. It says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I beg of you, sinner, please refrain from being arrogant. Listen to what the Word of God says. Christ came down once to deal with sin. He died on the cross for you. When he comes back again, it's, it's too late. He came to deal with sin by living a perfect life, dying on the cross, taking the wrath of God so that you don't have to. He was buried and yet he lives, reigning at the right hand of God the Father. And when he returns... He's not coming back to deal with sin, to die for sin again. He's coming back to, to take those who belong to him. So I plead with you, don't spend another day, another hour, another moment disregarding the warning of Hebrews 9.27. There is a judgment day coming. Think about what your life is. I pray that that question rings in your ear this week as it has for mine. And my prayer is that your answer today 
would be my life is in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, this is a hard, hard thing to preach. It's a hard thing to live out because we are inundated every day with temptations to not redeem our time for the kingdom of God. But to take that time and to use it selfishly for our own passions and our own desires, Lord, help us to be a people that seek after you and your kingdom and allow you to work all the other things out in our lives. And help us to put your kingdom first And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not have you, that they would recognize the shortness of this life, that we are not promised tomorrow. The obituaries in the, in the newspaper are full every day. Lord, help us to to number our days. To make the most of our time here on earth serving you and serving others. To live lives as a church in unity under your headship. The word says that the world would know us by the way we love each other. And the way we love each other is representative of how we love you. If we have no love for one another, we have no love for you. So, Lord, we, we ask that you would work in us. You would do your will through us. And that your kingdom would come. And your will would be done. Yes, it's in Jesus' name. Amen.